1: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, Democrats spend a day in Congress censoring and condemning a Republican for posting an offensive cartoon meme to his uh, Twitter page. AOC's, AOC says that anyone who doesn't share in their outrage is a nihilist, but who are the real nihilists here? Also, the Daily Wire scores a major victory as OSHA suspends the Biden-vax mandate, and huge record numbers of people are dying of drug overdoses. 100,000 people died last year. Why is it happening? What's going on? Plus, An MSNBC host wants us to to warn us about the scourge of quote-unquote white tears. What does that mean besides that she's racist? And a doctor says that he still can't take his three-year-old to the grocery store without feeling like he's risking her life. How can people, especially doctors, still be that deluded? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Say, what's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? Getting free insurance quotes from Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more a year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google, and eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy that uh, swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a single phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and uh, Bestow. Getting started is very easy. First, you just got to head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. And uh, they don't add any extra fees. It's very easy to do, very cheap. So there's no reason not to do it. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policygenius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. As it stands right now, we continue to, to wait for the written house verdict. It's extremely troubling that it's taken so long. Troubling because we have to remember something really basic here. Uh, the standard is supposed to be a reasonable doubt. And it can be easy to forget this. It can be easy to forget as we watch a trial that's been rigged in every way against the defendant. Um, it's easy to forget that, in fact, trials are supposed to be, in a way... You might say rigged in favor of the defendant. Rigged is not really the right right word here, of course. The point is just that the defendant is supposed to be given a head start. There are certain advantages that are meant to be built into the system. That's how the system is is made. And one advantage is that the prosecution needs to prove its case while all the defense needs to do is establish that there is maybe reasonable doubt about what the prosecution has claimed. And that is, is supposed to be anyway, um, a pretty low standard. It's meant to be. The defense doesn't need to prove that the the defendant is innocent. All they need to demonstrate is that it's reasonable to doubt whether he is guilty. Just that it's reasonable. And they don't even actually need to demonstrate it. The prosecution has to demonstrate that it is not reasonable to doubt the defendant's guilt. If they fail to meet that purposefully high bar, then that's supposed to be game over. That's the way it's supposed to work. So we've gotten into the weeds quite a bit in this case. Uh, we've talked about, you know, the specifics and all the things surrounding it. But uh, questions like, well, should he have been there or not? And, you know, I've, I've said, about, I think he had not only had every right to be there, but, um, but it was good that some people showed up to actually defend the property if, if the government had decided that it was not going to fulfill that role, which it had decided that. But most of that should be a moot point. The only thing that matters is this. Could a reasonable person have at least some doubt about whether Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty of murder? Could a reasonable person entertain the possibility, at least, that Kyle Rittenhouse acted in self-defense? The answer to that question is obviously yes. It would be unreasonable to say that it is unreasonable to have doubts about this case. I think there's a lot more than reasonable doubt in this case. I think rather than, than guilty beyond reasonable doubt, in fact, he is innocent beyond reasonable doubt, but that's not the standard. That's not the burden that he's supposed to have to carry as a defendant, and we should keep that in mind. But while we wait for this verdict, um, something else happened yesterday worth discussing right here in the opening, I think. From Yahoo News, they report, quote, the House voted Wednesday to censure Representative Paul Gosar after the Arizona Republican posted a violent cartoon video that depicted him killing Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking President Biden. The resolution passed 223 to 207 with two Republicans, Representative Liz Cheney and Adam Kissinger, of course, uh, joining all uh, 221 Democrats voting in favor of Gosar's censure. Representative Dave Joyce, who sits on the House Ethics Committee, voted present. Three Republicans did not vote. The measure stripped Gosar of his committee assignments, including a seat on the House Oversight Committee, a panel which he had served on which he had served alongside Ocasio-Cortez. Okay, so this is um, what the House of Representatives concerned itself with yesterday, all right? And and many Democrats took turns giving impassioned speeches, discussing in somber and and firm tones the inexcusable, violent, threatening, dangerous, terrible meme that Paul Gosar retweeted. Before we go any further, we should probably play that uh, meme for you, just so you understand what we're talking about. It is a jokey video, apparently made as a, as a parody based on some kind of anime show. I'm not familiar with the show. And uh, it shows Gosar as some kind of, I don't know, action hero, ninja or something. And uh, at one point in the cartoon, well, rather, at one point, a cartoon with Gosar's face attached hits another gar- cartoon with AOC's face attached with a sword. Okay, very dangerous stuff. Parental advisory stickers all over this thing. But let's uh, let's just give it a watch. Here it is. My God. Horrifying. That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. So while inflation skyrockets, cargo ships remain jammed in our ports, drug epidemic kills 100,000 Americans a year, dozens of other very real crises grip our nation, Congress spent the day talking about uh, this cartoon. And Nancy Pelosi kicked things off, shaking her head, saying that this is a sad day. It's a sad, sad day for Congress. And she's right, actually. It is a very sad day for Congress, but not for the reason she thinks. And she continued by drawing a connection to, what do you think she connected this to? You just take a guess. January 6th, of course. She said, quote, depictions of violence can foment actual violence and jeopardize the safety of elected officials as witnessed in this chamber on January 6th, 2021. It is inconceivable that a member of our community would wish to repeat the violence of that dark day. Now, we're not gonna test our intestinal fortitude by playing too many clips of these Democrats sobbing over a meme cartoon on Twitter, but we do have to play at least, I think we have to at least suffer through a little bit of AOC's remarks. because she after all was the victim, uh, the quote unquote victim of this cartoon. And that is an utter that she is always eager to milk. And let's watch her do that now.
2: I've been serving in this body just under three years. Not three years enormous amount has happened, but in response to the Republican leader's remarks when he says that this action is unprecedented, what I believe is unprecedented is for a member of House leadership of either party to be unable to condemn incitement of violence against a member of this body. It is sad, it is a sad day in which a member who leads a political party in the United States of America cannot bring themselves to say that issuing a depiction of murdering a member of Congress is wrong and instead decides to venture off into a tangent about gas prices and inflation, what is so hard What is so hard about saying that this is wrong? This is not about me. This is not about Representative Gosar, but this is about what we are willing to accept.
1: This is not about me. (laughs) This is not about me as I use the word me and I uh, 72 times in my 10 minute speech about me. Yeah, we really can't. On second thought, we should not be playing clips of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when we are broadcasting from, you know, the, uh, the sixth floor of a hotel room where I'm, when I'm right next to a window, because the urge to jump out is sometimes overwhelming when I'm listening to this person. A sad, sad day. A sad day. An incitement of violence. Democrats, of course, are not satisfied to call the cartoon merely inappropriate or crass or vulgar. No, they have to make it into a terrorist act. They have to pretend that Gosar was actually threatening himself. He was was himself threatening to stab AOC with a sword or encouraging other sword-wielding assailants. This meme was actually a message to Gosar's team of secret ninjas calling on them to finally launch their long-planned attack. That's the way Democrats tried to present it, and when most Republicans, aside from the usual suspects, Cheney, Kinzinger, uh, refused to join the censure, that sent them into even more furious spasms of outrage. AOC accused Republicans of nihilism for uh, not being angry enough about the Twitter meme. And all the Democrats were very upset, pretending to be very upset anyway, uh, that Republicans would not would not join, would, would not join them in being that upset. But Republicans were right, of course, to not go along with this why? I mean, is it because congressmen ought to be sh- posting with anime memes, you know, is that is that is that a is that a thing ideally that we'd be doing? No, I mean, it doesn't bother me personally. I think it's kind of funny, but in a, in a perfect world, it would not be unreasonable to say, yeah, you know, that's a little inappropriate. It's kind of crass and childish. Let's not do that, you know. Yet in this world, which is far from perfect, even if you feel that way about the meme, You can't say it when Democrats demand that you say. it. You can't bark on command like a trained puppy because then you are willfully participating in a charade. You are assuming a role in their stage play. AOC called it nihilism, that Republicans will not condemn inappropriate behavior. That's not what's going on here. It's more that they are refusing to be a part of the Democrats' nihilism. If the Democrats in Congress actually cared about incitements of violence and about crass and inappropriate behavior by its members. And they condemned every such example. And they were so stringent about it, so respectful of the rules of decorum and decency, that they even made time to condemn memes and cartoons, right? If this was all in the context of them being very consistent on this issue, then maybe you might give them a little bit of what they want. You might say, sure, yeah, you shouldn't oppose to that. But that's not how it works. Their message is not that members of Congress should not incite violence. Um, Not that Paul Gosar did incite violence, but that's not their message. Their message, the point they want Republicans to agree with, as they all clasp hands together, is that the rules should be applied based on their ideological and political needs of the moment. Which is why, for example, when Maxine Waters has repeatedly and explicitly called for violence against her political enemies or squad members repeatedly and explicitly justify and foment BLM rioting. There's no condemnation there, certainly no censure, because the rules are different for them. And anyone who will not agree that the rules are different is a nihilist, they say. It's all quite grotesque and outrageous, which is why Republicans uh, need to do a lot more than simply refuse to go along with it. That's a good first step. So there's a little bit of progress here. because I think if this exact same situation had occurred like five years ago, uh, there probably would have been, you know, 30 Republicans joining at least. So they're not going along with it. That's good. But they should also be on the on the offense, using the bully pulpit to call attention to behavior on the other side that often goes far beyond memes and cartoons. Just the latest example, Representative Cory Bush, like we talked about on this show, this week called a defendant in a murder trial a white supremacist without any evidence. She's, of course, not the only one to have done that. And also without evidence, claimed that white supremacists shot at her in, uh, in the streets of Ferguson, which we know is a lie. It never happened. Why are Republicans moving to censure Cori Bush for that? Sure, they don't have the votes, but they can call for it anyway. Two can play at that game, but only one ever does. I think it's time for that to change. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, living your everyday life is getting more and more expensive, as uh, I'm sure you've noticed. And so here's here's maybe the smartest move you'll make all year. And there's time to do it now at the 11th hour. Make your smart move. It might be the only smart move you make in the entire year, if you're me. A mortgage refinance could be the smartest move. It could save you thousands of dollars in interest, maybe help pay off your loan sooner, or even allow you to access cash, but to really capitalize on a mortgage refinance, you must be sure you're choosing the right loan with the right lender. That's why I recommend American Financing, America's home for home loans. For over 20 years, they've been a mortgage industry leader, offering competitive rates, low monthly payments, and custom terms without ever charging upfront or hidden fees. You get a free mortgage review, and you'll also learn about ways to save up to $1,000 a month if you give them a call. You may even be able to skip two mortgage payments. But you've got to call American Financing right now. And you've got to do it, as I said, right now, 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. Um, oh, by, by the way, I wanted to mention that just a, a quick shout out to uh, the member of the Sweet Baby Gang that I encountered at a, a deli here in Nashville. And yeah, I went to a couple days ago, I went to a deli, got a sandwich and... Um, he handed me the sandwich back. We have, we have the picture here. He handed he handed me the, the sandwich back, um, and he had written on the wrapper of the sandwich "Sweet Baby Gang." He didn't say anything to me. You know, never acknowledged it. Even knew who I was. He wrote "Sweet Baby Gang" on the wrapper. Now the thing is, he handed that to me, and um, I didn't I didn't notice what, what was written on it initially, because I don't notice anything. I'm like lost in my own head. You can ask my wife. I don't, I don't notice anything around me. I'm totally oblivious. I mean, she could, uh, you know, she always makes changes in the house and I come home and I don't notice it. Like she could replace all of our furniture with balloon animals or something. And I, and I, I wouldn't notice she could set, she, I could be sitting on the couch and she could set it on fire while I'm sitting on it. And I probably wouldn't notice. Um, so I didn't notice that, but I went in to go pay for it at the cashier and that's when I noticed it because he called attention to it. We both kind of noticed it together and he had no idea what that meant. And he was very, very confused and a little bit disturbed. And he read it and, he's, and he said, Uh, sweet baby gang, huh? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And then there was a little bit of an awkward pause. And he said, do you mind if I ask what that means? And then I just leaned in and I kind of whispered. I said, you don't want to know. And I left it at that. And it was even more awkward for the rest. We, we we finished the checkout in total silence and i walked out and it was great. So appreciate that for the sweet baby gang. Um okay, i want to talk about this osha thing, but before we do that, one other uh one other point going back to the to the opening because i don't want to i don't want to neglect to play this this clip. I talked about republicans going on the offense. Well, credit where it's due, Lauren Bobert, she actually did that. OK, so she's she's giving a little bit of a blueprint here for what that might look like. She got up to talk during this uh, discussion, this debate over censuring Paul Gosar, and she did something this this again five years ago. I don't think you're going to see any Republican doing this, but uh, she did. And it's great. Let's listen.
0: Democrat policies are so pathetic and have done so poorly that the left has nothing else to do but troll the internet, looking for ways to get offended, and then try to target members and strip them of their committees. This is a dumb waste of the House's time. But since the Speaker has designated the floor to discuss members' inappropriate actions, shall we? The Jihad Squad member from Minnesota has paid her husband, and not her brother husband, the other one, over a million dollars in campaign funds. This member is allowed on the Foreign Affairs Committee while praising terrorists. A Democrat chairwoman incited further violence in the streets outside of a courthouse. And then the cherry on top. My colleague and three-month presidential candidate from California who is on the Intelligence Committee slept with Fang Fang, a Chinese spy. Let me say that again. A member of Congress who receives classified briefings expired. was Gentleman sleeping with the Florida. enemy. This
3: is unacceptable, and this would never be... Gentlemen, time's expired. Gentlemen from Florida.
1: Gotta give that a standing ovation. That, as as the kids say online, where's the lie? Everything she said is exactly correct. Now, the one... Point I will make here, okay. In fairness to Swalwell, she says cherry on top. We have no evidence and no reason to believe uh, that he was on top, and in fact, there's a lot of reasons to think probably wasn't. But that's that's aside from the point. He did, in fact, sleep with uh, with a a Chinese spy, and (laughs) it's not actually funny. It's one of those things. All you can all you can do is laugh about it because we have a member of Congress who was in a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy named Fang Fang, and uh, it's not an issue it's uh, we're not going to censure it we're not going to talk about it oh, okay well it's just a member of congress in a sexual relationship with a with a foreign with a foreign spy from a from a fo- from a foreign adversary uh uh ilhan omar speaking of foreign adversaries uh ilhan omar was uh, she responded to this and because she was called out there i mean she you know had she was married to her brother, allegedly. I'm not sure if we still have to put allegedly on that or not. Um, Bobart says she's part of, part of the jihad squad. And Ilhan Omar responded on Twitter. She says, luckily, my dad raised me right. Otherwise, I might have gone to the floor to talk about this insurrectionist who sleeps with a pervert. She's talking about Bobert now. I'm grateful I was raised to be a decent human and not a depraved person who shamefully defecates and defiles the House of Representatives. And then uh, praise God. Okay. Well, first of all, the people who are defecating. You know, this, this, this as far as defecating in uh, in in you know uh, important places, I think that obviously goes to Joe Biden. There's no evidence that Lauren Boebert has ever done that. As far as her dad raising her rights, you know, I will say, Ilhan, um, I, I guess your your dad raised you and your husband very well imagine the the arrogance of this person of ilhan omar and the bubble that she's in that she would actually go down this road of talking about criticizing someone else for being married to a pervert i'm not even sure what she's referring to with bobert there but you're you are going to open that door of all people amazing all right let's move to this this is from fox it says the occupational safety and health administration osha is abiding by a court order and suspending enforcement of the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate on large private businesses. In a statement shared to OSHA's website, the agency said the court ordered that OSHA take steps, take no steps rather, to implement or enforce um, the mandate until further court order. The agency said that it remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies. But as it stands right now, uh, it has been suspended. So any employer who is enforcing this mandate they have no excuse to enforce it. They don't have to. No one, has, no, no one has to do anything. No one is under any obligation to do anything legally because it has been suspended. Um, and this happens after the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit. So we are, we're fighting back and we're getting results. It's, this is not the sexiest thing, right, when you're filing a lawsuit uh, in federal court. Not, not the sexiest form of fighting back but uh, it's an effective form and it matters. You know, and we, we talk about this phrase fighting back and we hear it so often and often in reference to things that are to, you know, just people tweeting and doing totally impotent things that's kind of lost its meaning. But this is real fighting. And the thing is, you know, I still talk to some people on occasion who say that their problem with the Daily Wire is that uh, we don't fight you know that's an impression that among some people I think' a minority but it still seems to linger a little bit with some people anyway and I, and I find that kind of an amazing because what conservative outlet and I know that I'm biased for obvious reasons but what conservative outlet is doing more than us And that's a serious question can can you name one any conservative outlet out there that's doing more than we're doing lots of other outlets out there that I respect and I like and I support and you should support too, but nobody's doing what we're doing. Um, we're suing the federal government. You know, we helped flip Virginia. We are to use the, the, uh, the liberal term. We're disrupting the entertainment industry. We're getting into investigative journalism. We've already, we've made a huge impact as far as that goes. These are all things that we're doing. And, uh, I really believe that by the way, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. I might, I might say, yeah, this isn't a promo spot. I might say things in promo spots that I, don't believe. Well, theoretically, I mean I, everything I say in promo spots. I mean, but theoretically, that's one thing. Uh, but this is this is uh, this is real. Daily Wire is a special place, and I, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Because w- we actually care about the mission. You know, we we really do actually care. Uh, we're we are crazy enough to care, and that's you. You can't always take that for granted. That's not always the case. I'm not going to say any names or anything, really, because I can't say names. I can't see it inside anybody's head or inside their heart and soul. But just because there are people in front of cameras saying a lot of conservative-sounding things and uh, building an audience of conservatives, that doesn't mean that they really believe what they're saying or care that much about it. Uh, but in our case, we really do, and putting our money where our mouth is in a very literal sense. Okay. Next, Joy Reid continues to put her anti-white bigotry on full display. I know we're used to it by now, right, with this woman. But this is really, even even by her standards, this is over the top. Let's listen.
3: So it's Kyle House trial. It reminded a lot of people of something. Something, I just can't remember what it was. Oh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. In which Brett Kavanaugh, who had been accused by a high school friend of committing sexual abuse of her, cried his way through the hearings to make him a permanent member and associate justice of the United States Supreme Court. And his tears turned out to be more powerful than the tears of Christine Blasey Ford, which were the tears of an alleged victim. But in America, there's a thing about both white vigilantism and white tears particularly male white tears. Really white tears in general, because that's what carrots are, right? They carrot out and then as soon as they get caught, it's like, <laughs> bring waterworks. White men can get away with that too. And it has the same effect. Even as the right tries to politicize the idea that masculinity is being robbed from American men by multiculturalism and wokeism, they still want to be able to have their tears.
1: Uh, can, can you believe it? Those damned white people, they uh, they want to have their tears. What the hell does that mean? Well, I know what it means. I'll get to that in a second. But also notice the catch 22 here. And it was on full display in the, in the um, Kavanaugh hearing as she brought up, also with Rittenhouse. Because the catch 22 is that if you're a man and you're accused of something, be it rape or murder, and you get up there, and you are calm and collected, and you address the charges against you, and you deny them, and you show very little emotion, then you're going to accuse, you'll be accused of being some kind of sociopath. And we're going to hear a lot about toxic masculinity. So if you get up there, you're accused, and you're not emotional about it, then that is toxic masculinity, you know, you're, you're, you're playing tough, you're being associated, you don't care, you know, you should care, you don't care enough, you're, you're, you're stuffing all the emotions inside, all this kind of stuff, that's toxic masculinity. But if you get up there and you're emotional, then it's white male tears. So no matter what you do, no matter what your response is, and it's designed this way of course, no matter how you respond, you are somehow proving that the allegations against you are correct, and you are uh, only only demonstrating your your moral failings. Literally, no matter how you respond, and that of course is because to people like Joy Reid, it doesn't. The moment you've been accused, you're guilty. And in fact, let me back it up one step uh, further. You're guilty before you were accused. Enjoy. You have to understand in Joy Reid's world. Every white male is effectively a rapist and a murderer, whether they've done it themselves or not. They are part of a a system that is guilty of these kinds of crimes, and so they themselves are personally guilty. And even if they haven't done it, then you know they're they're always a risk to do it. Um, So you know, as far as Joy Reid is concerned, you throw Kyle Rittenhouse in prison, even if he's not technically guilty of murder. Um, he, you know, he basically is—he's a white male. He's part of the system, and and, and probably at some point in the future, he's going to harm someone. Uh, so you might as well put him in jail. Now, Kavanaugh—you know—again, same, same kind of thing. He's—he's he's, as far as, as far as Joy Reid's concerned, he, he's basically guilty, even if not with with the with Christine Ford. At, at some point, I'm sure he's done this, or he will do it, and so let's—he should be held accountable for it, regardless. And that's the catch-22. No matter how you respond, you're guilty because you're guilty before you respond. The conclusion has already been determined. And therefore, however you respond, well, that's how a guilty person would respond because you're guilty. There's the circular reasoning of it. But I also want you to understand how, and I probably don't need to point this out to you, but really reflect on how racist this white tears thing is. I mean, it's the most dehumanizing thing I can imagine. She is suggesting, essentially, that as white people, we don't have human emotions. We are not human. It's it's all manipulation. Because if you saw white people as human, then Kyle Rittenhouse's response, even if you think he's guilty, his response makes a lot of sense. Even if you're a guilty person, and you, uh, you know, you killed someone, and you murdered them, and now you're t- and now you're facing uh, life in prison. Any normal person, guilty or not, would would have an emotional breakdown at at least some point during that process, if not multiple multiple emotional breakdowns the whole way through. So that's a, that's a normal human response, guilty or not. What kind of person would see? Uh, this is an 18 year old kid. Accused of murder, facing life in prison his entire life. This is is the reality that as as he sits right now waiting for the verdict, there is a distinct possibility that that for the rest of his life, which could last 60, he could spend 70 years of his life, his entire life, in a cage. Once again, guilty or not, who who would not have an emotional breakdown, a panic attack, cry when faced with that? And yet Joy Reid sees that and she's suspicious. She's suspicious because he's a white male. And she doesn't think that white males or even white people in general have emotions. It is, uh, I mean, she, lots of people in positions of influence in this country today and power really, truly hate white people, truly hate them. She hates them. And I'll tell you this, there is no one, and I really mean no one, in a position of power or influence in this country today who truly hates black people in the way that Joy Reid hates white people. And we know that because those kinds of people, those kinds of racists, have been driven out. They were long ago driven out. It's a a very intentional campaign to find the racists and and drive them out. But only certain kinds of racists, Right. But racists like Joy Reid, you know, there—that's fine. You can do that. We, 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 you know, th- there's, there's not going to be any segment. I don't care anyone on the left. You, you think Fox News is racist, which it isn't. But you think you're ever going to see a segment on Fox News? There's a, a black murder defendant. You, is there going to be someone on Fox News talking about the problem of black tears? <laughs> it's, it's quite literally unimaginable. It would never ever happen. And. Um, that's because this kind of out and out, this is dangerous. I mean, when you've got people in, in positions of influence, Joy Reid should have no influence whatsoever. She's not qualified to hold any job at all, but she she does have influence. And when you have this kind of totally dehumanizing racism against you know um, this this effort to dehumanize an entire race of people, it is very dangerous, and it's 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 not going well it's going in the same, to the same place and it heading in the same direction that these sorts of things always do throughout history. All right. Um, this is from UPI.com. It says, New government data confirms what many have suspected. The pandemic has prompted a record number of drug overdose deaths with more than 100,000 Americans succumbing to addiction as COVID-19 raged across the country. That figure is almost 30 times higher than pre- the previous year when 78,000 overdose deaths were reported, according to provisional figures from the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Um, lead researcher on on this says the 12-month period ending in April 2021 is the first time we've seen over 100,000 estimated deaths due to drug overdose. Drug overdose deaths continue to rise at least through April 2021. So this past spring, and um, that's this past spring, we haven't seen any indication that the numbers are slowing down. So it's actually worse than this. This is just until the spring. And as he said, there's no reason to think, but it's gotten better. 100,000 people dying of a drug overdose in one year. 100,000. Okay, you don't have to go back that far to a point when the number would have been something like 30 or 40,000 or 50,000, which was still a lot. It's doubled now and in a short period of time. What does that tell us? Well, this is something we could spend a lot more time on and maybe we will on a different show, but on a future show. A few things here. First of all, as many of us said the entire time, Lockdowns, okay. Lock, the the lockdown is not a it's not a victimless situation, okay. It's not just a matter of um, well, better safe than sorry. Let's play it safe and do this and uh, and um, you know e- e- even if we're inconveniencing people, at least we're preventing people from dying. No, there are victims of the lockdown. The, the lockdown is something that you're doing, and it will it will it will itself cause deaths, and it has. This is drug overdose. It's not a coincidence that this, even the CDC is not denying that there's a connection between the lockdowns and drug overdose deaths. Uh, we know about suicide and, and uh, you know, the, the rapidly dramatic increase in suicide deaths and suicide attempts, especially among kids that happened during the lockdown. So this was a, this was a calculation that was made saying that let's lock everybody down. And uh, we're going to do that in order to theoretically save the lives of this group over here. But in so doing, we're going to ensure that this group over here dies. So it was kind of, it was a trade, a trade-off. And not a trade-off worth making. Also, another point is that it's really unfortunate that criticizing the pharmaceutical industry is now an anti-science conspiracy theory. I mean, this used to be something where you would find some common ground. This was actually an issue for up, up until COVID. This was an issue where there was uh, some amount of common ground between the left and right. That we could talk about the pharmaceutical industry and abuses in the pharmaceutical industry and the way that the pharmaceutical industry has very intentionally gotten millions of people hooked on um, on opioids and, and other drugs. And we could talk about that and, and you know, you could find agreement on the left and right but now after covid and the vaccine it's been decided that in order to protect and defend the honor of the vaccine that means we also have to protect and defend the honor of the of the pharmaceutical industry and so criticizing the pharmaceutical industry now has become it's now a partisan thing uh and uh and if you do that it's it's sort of an anti science conspiracy theory which is really a shame Because when we talk about 100,000 overdose deaths, and it's not going to get better on its own, it's only going to get worse. Big part of the blame, yeah, we have lockdowns, also the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, As I said, the pharmaceutical industry has very intentionally gotten millions of people hooked on drugs. And this is all part of the, as I said, this is a much bigger conversation that we probably should spend more time on, but... This is all part of a, a problem I've talked about on the show, which is the the medicalizing of the human condition. Everything is a medical problem now. Um, everything can there's a drug for everything. Every uncomfortable feeling that you feel, go get a drug for it. Every every uh, pain that you that you experience, every physical pain, go get a drug for it. And and there's of course you, you can't watch. TV, without seeing these advertisements for for drugs, these pharmaceutical advertisements. And what they're doing, they're not not simply saying, you know, they aren't in these these advertisements, they are not just selling the drug, they're also selling the disease. They say to you in in the advertisement, well, are you experiencing this and this uh, uh, symptom? Well, then you might have this disease, and hey, by the way, here's the drug for it. That's, that's not the way that this really should work. And, it, and historically, it hasn't worked that way. I mean, historically, traditionally, you go to the doctor and you tell them your symptoms, and they diagnose you and tell you what the disease might be or what the problem might be. And if there's a need for a drug, they'll give it to you. But now people have the pharmaceutical industry selling them the disease. And then they go to their doctors with the disease already in mind, with the diagnosis that they got from an advertisement or from WebMD. And they bring that to the doctor and they say, this is the disease that I have. Here are my symptoms. Here's the drug. Give it to me. And quite often they find doctors who are lacking in scruples and, uh, have conflicts of interest financially and are willing to do it. So all of this plays into it. Also, we've got the border wide open. And that's where all the fentanyl is coming from. And we've got a, uh, a you know, an even deeper problem in our culture of uh, a loss of meaning and despair and people are turning to drugs. So all these things all together contribute to this problem. All right. One other thing I wanted to play for you before we get to uh, reading the comments. Netflix has a new show coming out. And this looks really... Um, innovative and unique. We've never seen a show like this before, so I want to play this for you. Check this out.
0: The last 48 hours have been insane.
4: I'm about to be put in a house with seven other people that I've never met before. Of course, I got to bring my whole closet. One of my goals is to step outside my
2: comfort zone to explore who I am.
4: And just like that, we're off.
2: Oh,
4: I was going the wrong way this whole time. Gas station stop. One of the few places I actually will poop.
3: The countdown
4: to Austin began. This experience
0: is going to help me grow my wings.
4: I'm about to pull up to the house. I'm super nervous. Can we skip to the good part? <laughs> I'm excited! So much-
1: oh, okay, well, so it's the real world. I, the only reason I play that, so they, Netflix has discovered the real world. And can you imagine... Like it's, I would, I wouldn't suggest watching it, but it would almost be worth watching just the first twenty minutes, and I'll tell you why. Can you imagine how insufferable uh, a a show like The Real World is going to be now in the woke era? And these reality shows were bad enough on their own. Now add wokeism into it. I can't even. I guarantee, first twenty minutes they're having a difficult conversation about race in the first 20 minutes, I guarantee it, and also pronouns. But at least they're getting outside of their comfort zones, you know, and growing their wings by living in a nice house in Austin with other attractive people who all have the same values and opinions as them. So that's good. I mean, they're really expanding the so That's a that's a one advantage here. All right, let's get to the comment section.
2: Daily cancellations are the law.
1: All right, Valve is better. Says Matt. Thoughts on forced monkey labor? Uh, I'm totally for it. I think it's I think it's a great use uh, for monkeys. And I know that in some in some uh, countries, I guess they they do they do use forced monkey labor. I was reading an article recently about uh, I don't know which country, but I think they use uh, monkeys for maybe we've talked about this on the show before. This sounds like the kind of thing we would talk about. They use monkeys for harvesting coconuts um, because it's hard to get the coconuts all the way up in the trees. And uh, and it is also dangerous to send a person up there that could fall. So you uh, you just you enslave the monkeys and you have them go get the the coconuts and uh, you don't have to pay them. Right. That's the great thing. And um, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think there should be more of this. Any time there's like a dangerous job like that and uh, there's not a lot of money to pay someone to do it. And you can use animal labor, um, uh, then then. Yeah, of course. What's the problem with that? Of course, in our, in our silly mind, and we've been infected by Disney and, and all that kind of thing. So we have this hierarchy in our mind of the, in the animal world. And a lot of people, some people do, of course, but most people don't have a problem with the idea of barnyard animals who are enslaved. Uh, but doing that to a monkey, oh, they're monkeys, they're cute. No, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really good idea. Um, and you know something else? It gives the monkey a purpose. I think that, that this, this is the most, this is the greatest purpose that you can give an animal is to, is to live in service of a human being. This is why I think um, some people don't like zoos. I think zoos are great. And you might look at the animal in the zoo and feel sorry for the animal in the zoo, but, but, uh, but th- this is their purpose. They're bringing joy and happiness to human beings. Um, kids are, are learning about animals. Isn't that a great purpose for an animal to serve? To, to serve mankind? what's wrong with that? You can feel sorry for the elephant in the zoo, otherwise, okay, or they could be out in their natural environment, and they'll die a lot sooner, and you know, they're just kind of wandering around. And um, I, I think to, to, to be there for the purpose of human beings, to be used by human beings, is a, is a great and wonderful purpose for animals. And so we're doing a favor for them as well as ourselves. All right. PK 877 says, Matt, if Britney Spears was really such a potential threat to herself and others, how could they allow her to continue to be a full-time pop star releasing multiple albums and performing all over the world, making millions for the people put in charge of her finances? Yeah, I don't, um, I don't really buy that argument. You know, As I said, I, I don't know Britney Spears' psychological state. I don't think you do, you do either, but I do know that just because you can perform on stage that doesn't, that doesn't say anything at all about your psychological fitness and your mental competence, one way or another. I don't see why it would. Yeah, you can dance around on stage and sing a song. That doesn't Mentally incompetent people can do that, as we, as we have seen uh, through the years. Um, if, by the way, if they couldn't, then there wouldn't be any pop music. There wouldn't be a pop industry. Another comment says, 10 minutes ago, Matt Walsh. There is no justice in our court system. It's all pageantry and can't be trusted. Flash forward 10 minutes, talking about Britney Spears. Matt Walsh. The decision of the court should be taken at face value and have the unquestioning power to take over someone's life. Okay, but that's not what I'm saying. Okay, I'm, I'm asking where is where's the evidence of Britney Spears' sanity? I'm, I, it's, it, and that's a sincere question. I'm not the one who started the Free Britney Spears Movement, but if you're going to be involved in that movement saying she needs to be freed from her conservatorship, then I I would assume you must have some evidence that the claim that she's mentally incompetent and a danger to herself and others is untrue. And if you don't have that evidence, then what the hell are you doing calling for... I mean, would you walk into a mental asylum and just point to some random person and say, I don't think they should be here. I mean, maybe they shouldn't be there, but do you have any reason to think they shouldn't? That's all I'm saying here. So if I went up to you and I said... um, Pretend I wasn't talking about Britney Spears. Pretend I was talking about someone named, uh, I don't know, Bernice Spears. And I said, hey, Bernice was put under a conservatorship because um, she's been judged mentally unfit and a danger to herself and others. Would you automatically say, hey, no way. Bernice shouldn't be under that conservatorship. And if you did, I would say, well, why do you say that? Do you know anything about the situation? Of course, the difference here is that people think, because they, they grew up watching Britney Spears and they see her performing... Um, and maybe they follow her on social media, they think they know her. And this is this, this, it's an illusion. That is totally an illusion that is created. Hollywood, the, the music industry, the record industry, they create the illusion that you know these people and that you're friends and that you're all, you know, that they're a part of your life, but they're not. You don't know anything about them at all. It's hard enough to know people that you, that, that are around you physically. I mean, your next door neighbor. You probably don't even know them. And that's someone that you actually talk to and can have conversations with. Even there, it's very difficult to say that you know someone. But a pop star? You don't know the first damn thing about her. You know nothing. Unless you do, in which case I'd love to see what information you have, but uh, I've never seen it. Um, Let's see. Meredith says, I think I expected to be a much better parent than I am, but turns out that being tired all the time prevents some of that. One thing I've changed my mind on is always answering the question, why? My son loves testing boundaries. Also, we underestimate the corruption of a grandparent who wants to spoil. Yeah, this is one thing, again, non-parents, you'll hear that, um, I hear this criticism uh, from people, and I always know they're non-parents when they say this, but they say that, um, because I said so is a, you. Sh- you should never answer a child with because I said so. That's a bad response. You know, it's because we should take the kids seriously and always answer their questions. And no matter how many questions they 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 ask, we should always be ready to sit there and have a conversation. Well, I'll t- talk to you about this. Um, but no, I think I think in fact, because I said so is not only an appropriate response, but it's a necessary response. And it's a, and it's it's um, children need to hear that. There's an important lesson in the because I said so, meaning that. I am the parent, and you should respect me and listen to me. Now, that doesn't mean that you should unquestioningly listen to everyone who claims to be an authority figure forever, but as a child, you need to have respect for your elders, and there are going to be things they tell you that you're not going to understand, but you should still listen because they know more than you do. And so we as the adults, we don't have to convince you to to do as you're told. Okay, this is not a situation where um, we have to wait around for you to understand it, and then you'll listen. No, you need to do it because you're told, and that's a really important lesson for kids. And and my test here, my litmus test is, um, if the why question is asked sincerely, then I'll do my best to answer it. But oftentimes with kids, it's a form of defiance. You You say, go clean your room, and they go, why? Why? Well, they don't. That's not a, that's not a serious inquiry. That's their way of saying, I don't want to do it. Buzz off old man. And that's when you drop the, because I said so. I'm not going to give you a whole dissertation on why it's better to have the room clean and blah, blah, blah. I'm the dad. I told you to do it. Now do it. Um, You have another thing that we learn as we become parents. I got to tell you again about Get Upside app. I know there's there are many many of my listeners have taken advantage of this and gone out and gotten the, got the app. But but if you haven't, I mean, what are you waiting for? All you got to do is go go on your phone right now, and uh, go to Google Play or the App Store or wherever, and get the Get Upside app because it's all upside. You're gonna make 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore get cash back using the GetUpside app. just download the app for free. it is again free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are um, making as much as two or three hundred dollars or more a month in cash back and there's no catch. It really is as simple as that the cash gets added right to your account and um, how do you get the cash out? Well it just they send it to your bank account they send it to, they could give it to you through PayPal. Uh, They can give you an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. It really is that easy. And with all the money that we're spending on gas prices, groceries, and everything else, if you've got an opportunity to save some money and make make money back, then uh, you can't afford to not do it. So just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. I can't believe I have to tell you this again, but if you're listening to my show and you still haven't subscribed to my newsletter, you're making a huge mistake because not only are you... Frankly, hurting my feelings. Okay, I don't want to shed any white male tears. I mean, are not going to do that, but it does hurt my feelings. But uh, also, you're, you're you know, you are depriving yourself of the opportunity to win something. Probably the most special gift that you'll certainly that you'll that you'll uh, have all year, including the upcoming Christmas season. I mean, you don't even need, you don't even need Christmas if you win this gift, because your subscription to the newsletter will automatically enter you into the running to claim the banjo, which sits behind me in the studio. Guarded faithfully by uh, by our friendly alien in the back of the of the studio, um, this is a banjo that I have spent many many hours playing, and you can own it yourself. And then that banjo will then be not that I not that I will uh, not that not that any banjo can really be replaced, but my my old banjo will then take its rightful place. So this is a this is sort of a passing of the banjo baton. And if you want to be a part of this sacred process, then head to dailywire.com/banjo to subscribe to my l- newsletter. And um, you'll get the newsletter once a week, and you'll also be answered to win the banjo, so do that right now. dailywire.com banjo. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Dun-dun. So today we're going to cancel Dr. Jorge Caballero. Um, now, I will confess that I struggled a little bit with this cancellation. I wasn't sure if I wanted to spend a whole cancellation on Dr. Jorge, given that his offense is so commonplace and has been covered so many times on this show that it feels a little redundant. redundant. But as should be clear by now, the determining factor for who makes it on the daily cancellation is not the importance of the issue or even the entertainment value. It's just simply who has most recently annoyed me. And given that, um, I saw this tweet from Dr. Jorge this morning, and um, he has made the cut. And there are a couple of things here that really push push him over the top, I think, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into that. So Dr. Jorge is a physician with a relatively large following on social media whose bio says, come for the facts, stay for the snark, and of course includes a hashtag Uh, Black Lives Matter. The real M. Night Shyamalan sort of twist ending here is that he doesn't have his his pronouns listed in his bio. I'm sure I'll get around to that. I hope he does actually get around to it because we are rapidly approaching a point where anybody who doesn't list their pronouns is a transphobe by default. We might already be there, in fact. So in any case, a couple days ago, Dr. Jorge tweeted this. He said, I would like to go into a grocery store with my three-year-old and not have to feel like I'm risking his life or her life. Is that too much to ask? I'd like to go to a grocery store with my three-year-old and not have to feel like I'm risking her life. Is that too much to ask? But wait, there's more. Uh, Many of the comments responding to the good doctor's paranoid ramblings were all in agreement, commiserating with him. A quick sample. Tracy says, I shudder when I see two parents taking their unmasked less-than-five-year-olds into a store. What are they thinking? And Brooke says, two of my three kids have not been in a store or restaurant in nearly two years. Honestly, I feel like my mental health will never recover from finding out how awful the majority of Americans are about all of this. Well, I agree with you there, actually. I I think we're on the same page. Marta says, so it would seem for now, um, so it would seem for now, my five-year-old does not remember the inside of places. Jennifer says, I hear you. Was in a Target today in Watertown, Massachusetts. Barely any masks. I was livid. Could feel my blood boiling. However, when I shop in grocery stores in Newton, Massachusetts, uh, almost everyone is masked. It's so, so hard. Another comment says, we're in full gear when we go into public. It's just the way we do it. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to? And a guy named Eric says, our 19-month-old has never even been in a store. I feel, I fear he'll be too big to sit the, in the front of the cart by the time it's safe for him to go grocery shopping with me. And Dr. Jorge responded to that one in a follow-up tweet writing, I feel this in my soul. Kids grow up so fast. It feels like the list of things that I'll never get to experience with my daughter grows longer by the day. Now, as I said, we have seen this sort of thing many times already. But here's what sent it over the edge for me Dr. Jorge's username, his Twitter handle, is this. I'm, make, I'm not making this up. It is Data Driven MD. Yes, he is the data driven MD. He is driven by the data which is why he feels that he'd be risking his daughter's life by potentially exposing her to a virus that has a 99.999% survival rate for, for kids her age. And that actually overstates the risk to her. It's not that when she goes to a grocery store that there's a, you know, a 0.001% chance that she'll die. No, 0.001% is the risk of death if she contracts the virus. But what are the chances that she'll contract it? Children her age have a very small chance of even contracting the virus in the first place. Added to the fact that most of the adults that she encounters are vaccinated. Added to the fact that at a grocery store, she's not having sustained close quarters contact with anybody. Added to the very minuscule lethality of the virus for her age group, and for most every age group, by the way. Run the calculations with all of those percentages taken into account. And her risk of COVID death from going to the grocery store is much, 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 much smaller than 0.001%. I wager that it's something like, you know, 00000001 percent though even that is probably a gross overestimation. And this risk, um, a risk so vanishingly tiny as to be effectively non-existent, has the data-driven MD paralyzed with fear. The data has driven him insane, it would seem except it's not the actual data that has done that to him. If this data, these numbers could incapacitate him to that extent, then certainly he would never drive a car. The car trip to the grocery store is vastly more dangerous for both himself and his daughter than the grocery store itself. He would never ride an elevator or an airplane or cross a bridge. He'd never go inside any building for fear of roofs caving in and floors collapsing. He'd also never go outside for fear of falling trees, lightning strikes. If a 0.00, et cetera, more zeros, 1% chance of death is too much to bear, then life itself is too much to bear. These kinds of risks are built into literally everything you do everywhere all the time, no matter what. Sometimes the risks are much larger. I wonder if Dr. Jorge has ever been on a roller coaster. Roller coasters are pretty safe, but your chance of injury or death is definitely greater than 0.001%. And meanwhile, it's a totally unnecessary, frivolous activity that you're paying money to participate in. Has Dr. Jorge ever been to the beach? Again, pretty safe, but there are sharks and riptides and accidental drownings. And you could avoid the beach your entire life and still live a relatively full and normal existence. Yet I bet he goes to the beach. Doesn't think about it. Has Dr. Jorge ever eaten at a restaurant? I mean, before COVID. Food poisoning, allergic reactions, choking. Has he ever ever gone for a hike in the woods? Bear attacks, falling limbs, you could get lost, you could trip and break your ankle. You could get assaulted by a crazy drifter or or by Bigfoot. Did you know that? Did you know that your chance of getting killed by Bigfoot in the woods is not 0%? Nobody can say that it's 0%. If you're worried about Bigfoot and you come to me and say, I'm going to the woods, I'm worried that Bigfoot um, might attack me, do you think that that could happen? I would have to say, yeah, it could happen. I mean, it could, it probably won't. It's like really small chance, but it, I, it's not impossible. And given that uh, Dr. Jorge is worried about 0.00001% risks, he's, he's now in the realm of having to worry about Bigfoot. Actually, I don't want to scare him, but even if you stay out of the woods your chance of getting beaten to death by Bigfoot is still not zero percent. I mean, technically speaking, it's in the realm of possibility that Bigfoot could break into your home right now as you sit, pummel you senseless, kill your dog, set your house on fire. This could happen. The chance of that occurring is not zero. Have you taken any precautions? What is your Bigfoot home invasion contingency plan? You don't have one? What are you, anti-science? See, these are all data points that the data-driven MD has not taken into account, it would seem. And that's because he isn't driven by data so much as by feelings. And he even says so. Remember, he says, I would like to go to a grocery store with my three-year-old and not have to feel like I'm risking her life. Is that too much to ask? Which brings us finally to our answer. Yes, Doc. It's too much to ask. It is too much to ask that you be able to do something without feeling a certain way about it. It's too much to ask us anyway. It's too much to ask the world because we can't do anything about your irrational feelings. We can't control that. It's too much to ask of us. It's not fair to us. It's not fair that we should have to do anything at all, that we should have to in any way whatsoever account for, adjust ourselves for, work around your totally unreasonable and paranoid feelings. Your feelings are your problem. They're also your child's problem, sadly. And that's the real tragedy here. I frankly don't care if you want to huddle yourself inside for the rest of your life. Um, That might work out pretty well for the rest of society, honestly. But I do care that you're doing this to your child who was cursed with an insane, psychologically abusive father through no fault of her own. And that's why I really hope you do something about those feelings. You do something. Not us. You. Until then, you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodovsky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina, Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show,
3: OSHA announces they will be putting their unconstitutional vax mandate on hold as cases spike in heavily vaccinated states. The Kyle Rittenhouse trial hits another speed bump, and Democrats vote to censure a Republican congressman for an anime cartoon. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.
4: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last.